come and produce. And you, you know, like a, it could be seen as a vague sense of dissatisfaction. You can't really put your finger on it, but you tend to go towards that direction more than being open and happy, you know? And so that sort of, that malaise is produced by the system that the mind is relying on. Like in recovery, they'd say itself. That word small s represents the system. And the problem is, is systemic. It's not because there's certain things that aren't working out. The system is broken. Self-centeredness doesn't really work. Yeah? It's a failed system in a way. And you can see it a lot of the times because what it would cause, would uh, deem valuable and saying it's worthy to work for, a lot of people, when they pursue that and they arrive at that mythical arrival date, they feel a sense of emptiness. It's actually, they get everything they've ever wanted and it seems to be unsatisfying. That's a systemic problem. Of this, you know, so it's not like the problem is in good shape, and you're just not finding the right formulas or doing the right thing or thinking the right way. It's just it's the thinking, it's the system that's failed. That's why in AA, in recovery, that says, you know, why are you in so much fear? Which is a great a great question. You know, why are you in so much fear today? And it says, so he doesn't let us answer because it would be, you know. We could have like a year seminar and everyone's answers why they're in fear. <laughs> we can't even get what fear really is. Most of what we're suffering with is anxiety, mental anxiety. There are fears that are inherently built into the programming here, like fear of death for many of us, right? fear of not being taken care of, not having food, clothing, and shelter. These are strong uh, environmental and conditional fears. Yeah? And yet, what happens is the mental process claims to be the one who has those fears and then riffs on them. So people will live their whole life being afraid of death. Yeah? When at the moment of death, then that fear may have arisen and it may have been the booster rocket to set you free. Your mind has now co-opted it and has been using it, that fear, but, but turning it on in a way with a, with a mental activity. Worrying about it, worrying about it, thinking about it, thinking about it, yeah? So it's sort of like, you know, when there's fear, like one time I was in the water and I saw a shark, you know? I didn't have to see the whole shark. I saw the fin and I was doing that movement like it was going. And, it, you know, in, in Australia, the, the, do, the dolphins have blackish fins and they're more dorsal. This was like a triangle and it was only about 10 feet from me. And there was a fear. Fear arose. And my body got drenched with adrenaline. And I tried to, and I just swam, started swimming to the shore. Yeah? Now that's fear. That's a valid emotion. That's what happens here. Certain times when something really scares you, you're supposed to have that reaction. But most people are provoking or producing like a bastardization of it through mental anxiety. They're like, it's like having a buzzer and they're buzzing themselves all day with a little electrical shocks. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Why are they thinking about me? And it's like, it's exhausting for the system because it's sort of like when you give the system too much drugs, now it doesn't make any dopamine anymore. Yeah, it gets addicted. So now you've got all this adrenaline running through you all the time. And when you really need it, it probably won't be available because the mental activity has co-opted it and now it's caught, and people are sharing about it as fear, but it's mental anxiety. 
Yeah? It's rooted in the instinctual fears, like they're worrying, will they get their neck, their fourth house? That actually can be rooted to the fear of not having shelter, yeah? But it's pretty out there. They have three other houses, yeah? It shouldn't be provoking that fear if they get the fourth house or not. They've gotten shelter pretty well covered, yeah? You see? So, but, so the fears are there, instinctual. You know, you're afraid of, like, not having food, not having a place to sleep, not having sex with someone you want, maybe not having a family. So those fears are there, and then the mind riffs on them, and now exaggerates them, and amplifies them when they're not even rise, arising. Like, you can be in a beautiful mansion, and you're worried, you know, about, will I buy that next little house in Malibu? Yeah? So you see the mind, the system of self-centeredness, the reliance on that system, our mind relying on that system as our navigational system, and the problem is it's systemic. There's not like a little bit wrong with the system, and if we just tie up the nuts and bolts, it will run well. The problem is chronically systemic. So his answer to why are you in so much fear today was, isn't it because self-reliance has failed us? Simple statement, very simple statement, can save you a huge amount of time, a huge amount of time, and a lot of studying, if you just really look at your own life, and if you have a little flavor of what that self may mean to you, the idea of that self, and the reliance on it, and see its effects in your life, and see if it ever really panned out that well, yeah, by relying on that. And then you have a real intimate hit of the first introduction to the situation, which is recognizing the problem, you know. Oh, so it's reliance on self. Now, if you look at the word reliance, let's say I'm relying on, like, uh, let's say if I get old enough in a few more years, I'll be relying maybe on my Social Security check. If I ever get one, I didn't work much. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not going to have too much Social Security. But let's say I was, and then I'd be relying on that money to sort of hopefully take care of my, like, basic shelter and food and stuff like that. Yeah? So here's this reliance. I'm talking about way past relying, it's turned into identification as, which to me would be like the highest form of reliance, where you're so reliant on, reliant on it, you're taking yourself to be it. I don't see how it can go any farther. Really. I don't, I don't see it can go to any more extreme tenth degree of reliance than identification as. And the dilemma is when you're identified as that idea of being Paul, a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, one who has choice and is the doer of his actions and is the thinker of the thoughts and is the feeler of the feelings and is the hearer of what's heard, you know, that there's a someone in here. You know, I never really see it, but I think a whole lot about it. Yeah. <laughs> That identification of self, you won't know you're identified as self while you're under it. It's one of the greatest masking agents of all time, because no matter how much calamity it produces, no matter how much irritability and restlessness it produces by relying on it, you'll never figure it out because you're taking yourself to be it. And this is where you run into the statement in, in recovery, it says self can't get out of self. Yeah? So self is what's producing the irritability, restlessness, and discontent by your compliance with it, by being identified as it. It doesn't have the ability to produce it without your juice. See, this is the solution. Really. That reliance on that system called self-centeredness 
cannot have any power, quote-unquote, over you unless you identify it or align with it. That's why there's a solution, right, where the problem seems to be. And in recovery they say, you know, you're not someone who has a problem, you are the problem. The only way you can be up the problem and have a solution from that is that the problem's identification as. So if you question the identification as, maybe, just maybe, it's not so, there's your solution. Yeah? There's your solution. The problem at that point is now not going to irritate the problem by trying to escape from it as the problem, self out of self. It's going to stop and question the identification as, which is the linchpin in my experience. That's when true, really lasting relief started to show up and stabilize. When that little linchpin was pulled, and I saw it as a foreign installment, and that inch, that view had, was given to me. I didn't practice seeing it as a foreign installment. Something happened with my mind, and my mind shifted out of one calibration, which was self-centeredness, and shifted into another calibration, and then looked back on the other calibration, and saw that, hey, I'm not that. You know? All of that that's being implied, insinuated, inferred, I'm not. You know? Sudden, sudden possibility that had never seemed to be an offer, I could entertain it. And at that very second, the next thing my mind entertained is, hey, if I'm not that, I can be free of it. <laughs> not free as it, which is the bondage of self, but free from it. It just, it didn't take, it wasn't like a giant chasm of time from the one possibility, like, hey, I'm not that, to the next possibility, hey, I can be free from it. All I needed was that information, that maybe, just maybe, I'm not that. That which is being inferred by this system, implied, insinuated, reinforced all day, thought about all day in this context, that I'm the doer, I'm the haver, I'm the big alpha and the omega, yes? Because the whole thought system is all about reinforcing that. Like, it seems funny, but I always use this now, because people will see me, and they haven't seen me in a while, and they go, Paul, you're growing your hair. And I go, no, I'm just not cutting it, you know? It's not like I take a few hours during the week and I go home and grow my hair, you know what I mean? All right, I gotta leave early. I got some growing to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't, just don't cut it and then it grows. You see? This, uh, this very, uh, uh, very uh, blatant assumption that you're the doer of a lot of things that you have nothing to do with is just insinuated and implied by the language that we're using. Yeah. So if someone said, hey, I've got to go home and digest the burrito I had yesterday, we'd all laugh. <laughs> you, know, you don't have to go home. You continue to do what you're doing, and the body's digesting. <laughs> oh, yeah? You mean I have nothing to say about it? No. Right after it passes here, that's it, basically. You know what I mean? Once it gets in there, it's basically out of your hands. It's a nice point to surrender. But there's a much subtler process happening in the brain and the body, which is here, the brain, it's the thought system. And we're in the position of thinking we're the thinker of that. That we are doing that, where we can't even digest our own food, we can't even shit when we want to, but we're the thinker of this very subtle process called thought. <laughs> it's an amazing, arrogant leap of self-centeredness to believe that's under your jurisdiction. That you're the thinker of it. <laughs> so, once you see, hey, I may not be that, I can be free of it. And what's, what starts happening? The first thing that comes under suspicion is the thought system. 
and the language of the thought system, you start seeing how it's subjectifying me all day, as I'm the doer, and I'm the haver, I'm the thinker, I'm the mover, I'm the shaker. And that, that mantle of, of authority is weighing really freaking heavy on me, and it's actually produced a fertile field where guilt and shame is growing quite a lot like a fucking marijuana plant farm, you know, with the best hydroponics, you know. I mean, these, these things are fucking getting huge, you know. And they're an imaginary field that actually doesn't exist, but in my head they exist, because my head is constructed in time. In my head, the past is much more important than now, and the future is much more important than now. So the guilt and shame is being harvested when it goes over all my past events and sees where I did something I shouldn't have done, or I omitted something I should have done, and so on and so forth. And it builds this giant story about you, yeah, about this you that you are. And then the real motherfucking trip is, now you want to get out of the you that it's made to be you. <laughs> it gets you in such a beautiful thing. It builds this, this edifice of you, and then you, it provokes this feeling of, I want to get out of that. And now self tries to get out of self, which is the biggest form of bondage of all. Look at how many people, every freaking day, they're looking to escape. With that coffee, with the movie, with the surfing, whatever you come in contact with, the mind is looking to get out of itself in a lot of ways. But it can't get out of self as the self. You see? If the identification is in place, you're going to take yourself to be the thing you're trying to leave. Just a different version of the thing. The thing that says, this self is imposing its will on this self. <laughs> This self wants to get out of that self. They're both the self. They're both the self thing. <laughs> There's not one that's gonna. It's not like a, a like a two cell one cell animal that's gonna break into two cells and the one self is gonna leave the the bad self <laughs> and then grow into this perfect Kevin or perfect Paul. It ain't happening. If it would, if it could have, why hasn't it yet? <laughs> So the bugaboo is identification as, it's a verb, it's an activity. It's not an event that happened because it never happened. It just seems to be happening. That's the highest form of reality it can reach, is it seems to be happening. Yeah? The language is there like a fucking cattle prod to keep you still taking yourself to be a Paul who's doing this and should have done that and this and that and time has so much value in Forget about this moment. Where is this leading me to? It's leading you to another aspect of the same freaking moment. <laughs> That's where it's leading you to. But we think, no, it's going to be so much better that next moment. Yeah. And then what happens when that ends? Then you're on the seeking trail again. After you look at it, if you could look at it from a little bit above, you've been on a, like a, you've been on like a death march in a way. Seeking, 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 seeking. Year after year after year after year after year. Yeah. It's like being on a boat. Everyone has a shit in their pants. It smells like high heaven. No one wants to admit that they have it, but they constantly keep it. This is all of this must be my shit because they're self-centered. So everyone's walking around on the boat, acting as if everything's fucking great. But in sense, in a sense, there's deep-rooted suffering there. 
Yeah. Your mind's not at peace. It's agitated. If it runs into peace, it will say that it was working towards that moment, but when it arrives there, it can't enjoy it. Because if the mind is fixated on time, it says, well, I feel in it now, but will I be feeling it tomorrow? And then its story about why it's feeling the peace has to have something to do with it. So you must have done something to get you right in the right position to receive the peace, and therefore, I can do something that will move me out of that position to miss the peace. Yeah? If you believe you've achieved something, that same mind will believe you can lose it. That's not worthy of having. No way. You need to have something that's always available at all times. Something that overrides circumstances and situations. Something that overrides time. And I'm saying it's inherently right where you are. It's available. Just like the mind's entertaining this to be real, the mind can start entertaining other ideas. And for that mind, in this moment, it will be real. There'll be a freedom from the bondage of self. It doesn't say bondage to self. That would mean there's a self to be bonded to. It's bondage of self. Of. In other words, it's an activity. It's called, I call it selfing. And that's the highest level it can arise, arise to. It's an activity. It doesn't become a self. Yeah. So it's not bondage to self. It's like, let's say, if there was like a, a chair, and I could be bonded to the chair, right? They'd hang, put me handcuffs, which is very rarely happened to me, but I remember the times it did and they handcuffed me, and I was bonded to the chair. This doesn't say bonding to the self. It says bondage of the self. It's different. Yeah, It's different. It's an activity the mind has fallen under. This constant inference and implication and insinuation and implying of the language that's, that's wrapped, all our thoughts are wrapped in, it's sort of like, a, it's like a, an unconscious lullaby we've been lulled into a sleep body. And then you have your moments of wide awakeness, let's say, surfing and this and that, when, it, like you were saying, the elements are so strong and you're experiencing it, you're smelling it, you hear it, you're feeling it, you're tasting it, and yeah, you're engaged, and at that point, you're, the mind's not remembering self because it's too engaged with what's happening, so it, it overrides its remembering of self by thinking of the past and the future, and you have a freedom from that bondage of self. And therefore, you put it on surfing, which is fine, and you say surfing is doing it for you, but it's your own mind that's doing it. The surfing facilitates the mind. But don't be fooled that something is triggering the mind. The mind is the only trigger here. Yeah? Because then you get addicted to surfing. And then I see a lot of guys who surf, they're pretty good, they have bad sessions now all the time. Judging by the waves they think they got or didn't get. Yet when you first went in, it was more than enough, wasn't it? Just to be in the water? You had a basic level, baseline of happiness just because you were in the water. Now it's all this judgment, you know, it was a bad session. You know what I mean? How can you have a bad session, really? <laughs> I mean, if you still have the ability to have wonder and awe, it's pretty amazing to be in there. Even if you're not catching waves, you'll see a dolphin or something, or something, or you spin around and see the geography around the beach, and you're like fucking amazed. Yeah. 
But of course, what happens with the selfing is the person doesn't, the mind in selfing doesn't care about the riding the waves. It wants someone on the beach to see them. <laughs> it wants to be acknowledged as a surfer. <laughs> There's an identification as a surfer. All these are just subdivisions of the identification as a self. What we do with that, we don't look at the identification as self, we just change the uniform of the self we're identified as. So, I like to wear the surfing identification a lot better than the junkie identification. But when I was out there, I had the junkie identification I was wearing. Yeah. But no, we keep trying to change the uniform, go into the closet that, the, that this world offers to put on another uniform, but we're just clothing the self. Yeah. We're identifying... The identification as self is never addressed, and now we're just switching what self we're going to be identified as. Yeah? Let's see if I can get the perfect self to be identified as. Then you'll find a bigger self that's identified better. <laughs> so it will be a better surfer. So it will be a, have a nicer girlfriend. So, oh yeah. <laughs> but if you go this way, just see the basic systemic dilemma of the identification as self. It's not the which one you identified as or what beast you created, like there's the basic Frankenstein monster, then you add some, like, you know, so a nice wardrobe, or teach it to sing or something, and now it's a better Frankenstein monster. But the fact is, it's still a monster, in a way. This is going back and just seeing, you know, the identification as self, that's the dilemma. Then you can wear all these different uniforms, and you wear them loosely. You don't get, you don't take them to be your skin, so to speak. Yeah? You see it as just another thing you wear. When you're at the office, you're that type of person. When you're doing here, when you're with your girlfriend, there's tons of different uniforms you wear. But to take the one uniform to be the skin, which is the idea of being a self, then it's never entertained and it can be taken off. That's the rub. It doesn't mind care if you look a spiritual or you look like a tattooed, leather-bound, you know, Harley Davidson driver. It can fit into all these different uniforms because the identification itself is, is, is right out in the open protected. No one's seeing it. No one's seeing it at all. The biggest heist of all is occurring and no one even recognizes it. So, it says bondage of self. So, it's an activity, yeah? So, the mind is, act is entertaining this idea of being a self. It can never actually complete that entertaining. It can never be a self. Therefore, if you ever had a desire that was frustrated, what happened? Let's say you wanted to get to the beach, you couldn't, or the girl, something like that. You really wanted her to like you and she likes somebody else. What happens when you have a desire that's frustrated? It usually spawns other desires. You'll go out, get loaded, go home, eat a you know, pint of agendas, you know what I mean, watch porno or something. Yeah? That frustration is going to lead to seeking relief from that frustration, and then you're going to need to get relief from the relief from that frustration, and then so on and so forth. So it's so a one basic addiction, which is the mind's addiction to the idea of being a self, spawns all the other addictions. Yeah? They're not addictions unless the mind gives them that meaning. Yeah? So for me, it went from identification as self, 
Then it was, I was addicted to fantasy, reading like, you know, Edgar Allan Poe and all this stuff. Then I got addicted to drinking, quickly moved into drugs. Then I got addicted to spirituality. Then I got addicted to not recovery, thank God. <laughs> but I got addicted to spirituality, yeah? And then suddenly that addiction to spirituality took me to places where I saw the fundamental floor of all the fucking looking and the seeking. That the selfing was just putting on another uniform. This one was going to have white robes, you know, have a very thin physique and pretty pale. And <laughs> probably bad knees for meditating so long. <laughs> but I had a bright look. I was giving you that loving gaze through the emaciation. Oh, yes, honey. <laughs> Instead, finally, finally, I heard this information. I just went to Berkeley and I heard it and I just entertained the possibility. And I read some books, went to other meetings, found out this little like subculture that was going on. Very few people were interested in the idea, I think. And I just started sniffing around like a bloodhound, you know, checking things out. And all the while, when I was introduced to another novel idea concerning it, I entertained it. I walked around and I sort of paused and I was just sitting there. And after a period of time, the calibration of my mind shifted where it was so obvious because I was teaching this workshop in recovery called the Fourth Step Workshop where I taught how to... I do a four-week course every month in the dry dock and I go over how to do a Fourth Step inventory at least for the first few years. Then it morphed into something else. But then my mind changed and that chapter that I had read many, 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 many times and I thought I knew what it meant suddenly was a, a, a repository of all new meaning being generated by seeing the words. And I read this statement, very clear, simple statement. Being convinced, which means to believe with certainty, being convinced that self, manifested in all these various ways, is what has defeated us, we will now look at some of its, meaning self's, common manifestations. I saw it. It was so blatantly obvious that it was a foreign installment it wasn't from the book, it was from my own mind. The word triggered a whole different meaning than I had ever had about that. And I saw it as, I'm not that. That's the fucking solution. That's the only solution that's worth its name, a solution. Because if you're not that, that's that, basically. Yeah. It doesn't mean you stop wearing uniforms, you identify this identification as this and as this and this, but they're worn loosely. You don't take them to be your own skin anymore. Therefore, there's freedom in it. Yeah, It can't bind you anymore. Because you're not mining for a new identification. You see, just the act of identification is the dilemma. Systemically. Not that I need a better one, but even that better one will still be, have a systemic failure of the system. I'll be identified with a better self, but it will still be a failure because I'm not that. Yeah? And then, all right, finally, you don't know. All that drive to know, to make sense of this insanity, you know, to try to make it rational and, you know, to make these weird connections between totally indirect, contrary dots, you know, but to have a story of, oh, I was Paul then, and now I'm Paul now, and therefore I will be Paul later. 
<laughs> That's all it does. It remembers itself now by saying, I was here, I will be here. Look at how much I'm worrying about it. I must gonna I must could it would be pretty insane if you found out you weren't even the one you were worrying about in the future when you arrived there. You spent twenty years worrying about you and you're not even that you that you were about. That all that energy could have been used for something else, like resting in what you are now. <laughs> Maybe. It's just another possibility. You may find it's much more conducive than being happy, joyous and free when the energy's resting in what's going on now. Instead of being in, invested in that, that bank of self with, with hoping to have a great dividend 30 years from now when you arrive, you'll be like, <laughs> you're going to have a bad surprise. <laughs> you'll be laying on your deathbed in your head, which you've listened to like the fucking Greek oracle tells you, you really blew it. And you, you'll die on that note. <laughs> it passes judgment. It's final judgment. You really blew it. <laughs> <laughs> what, am I, what am I gonna do? I can't even take these tubes out of me. How can I change and rectify anything? Of course, you're gonna be stuck with a big bag of doo doo with no way. <laughs> and how are you not gonna listen to it if you've been listening to it all this time? You're not gonna have you're not gonna have an immunity to it just then. <laughs> Maybe by grace, but not by habit. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening to it now, and then now, and now, I'm sure you're going to be listening to the now that's going to be that then, you know. <laughs> it's going to be triangulating you somewhere else at some other time, trying to keep, trying to remember you. <laughs> when all your faculties are giving away, and you'll still be, you know, grabbing at identification. <laughs> Die now, you know. Really, die now. <laughs> it basically looks like you're either dying as a self, which is you're devoted to the thought system and you believe in all the fuck it's saying up there, which is dying as a self. Yeah, because you're dying to this invitation right now. You're dying to what's possible. You are. You're basically dead to what's possible. You're like in a vertical coffin with wheels. You think you're moving, but basically you're already laid to rest. Or you're dying to the self, where you have immunity to the thought system. You don't fall for all the inferences and the references. And while other people are trying to refer to you as a you back then and refer to you as a you in the future, you can nod your head, but you're not buying it anymore. You've got some kind of reprieve. Yeah? And you rest in that reprieve, and you make it your new home. And it becomes your new navigational system. And it's reliable, and it will demonstrate its reliability in every fucking day you're in. Yeah. And you'll be easily see that the horse that you've been riding on, it hasn't been, it's been dead, basically. <laughs> you get up, and you move to a living horse, and you get on that one. Yeah? And then all these wonderful things happen. A lot of the, the effects, or like, they're almost like strangulation points of the system, all these knots that keep you obstructed, in a way, from, let's say, the sunlight of the spirit, just start loosening up over time. Like the nuts, the nuts just unloosen themselves, they fall off, and then the thing collapses, and then more is re reestablished, more is 
you get more sense of the space that you are, and it just seems to be going on with no thought or effort on your part. Yeah? You're just living, and through the living, things are being rearranged and reconfigured and shuffled differently. And the way you're playing your day seems to change without studying for eight years how to change the way you play your day. Yeah? Just by entertaining, I'm not that, it seems to initiate a, a real shift, a real paradigm shift yeah. in how you view things. I never had it happen any other way, as powerful as this, and this it was the least amount of effort of all of them. All the other things were away. Yeah? This is like an illuminating factor that you have always been and will always be. And it's always available right now at all times, right where you are. As long as, as you seem to be alive here, it's going to be available to you. It's the most reliable thing and much more reliable than the breath because the breath goes up and then pauses and goes down. This doesn't go up and down and pause. It is a pause. It's, a, it's, like, the, it's like the pregnant stillness in every moment. You know, It's the context of all your days, the context. It's the mind itself. And then you know, you see that you know, it's just a, it just, it can only be a seeming problem. The word seeming is really important if you read it. A lot of people read something out of the book, but they forget that. They say, we're a hundred men and women who have recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body. It doesn't say that. It says a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To me, that's the most important word. Because seemingly defines what's happening here. It says, it appears to be true or false to you. So in a sense, nothing has the quality of trueness or falsehood. It's but the meaning you give it. That's a powerful role we play here. Yeah, you see, Hear that? That just blows my mind. Seemingly, we have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. So in fact, it's not hopeless. It can, it's seemingly hopeless. In other words, it appears to be true or false to you. So what happens? Do you want to change the condition that seems to be hopeless? Or do you want to change the you that's giving it the meaning of being hopeless? Which one do you think would be a wiser move? Would you want to change that, try to change a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body while you're holding it in that tractor beam that it seem, it's seemingly hopeless? You're good luck. But what would happen is if you question the you that's, that's giving it the meaning that it's just a hopeless state of mind and body. If this changes, that hopeless state may only seem to be a hopeless state. There's freedom there, right? Why not, why take that one statement and if it rings true to you, why not let the mind expand on it? Like the Course in Miracles did, it says you and I have given everything all the meaning it has. It expands on that idea. Yeah? Just like everyone in this room is having a subjective experience. In other words, you're having an experience of this event that's probably different than the experience I'm having of this event. That's being brought, brought to that's being brought to us by the subjective view we're entertaining. You're seeing it from a certain position. You're seeing it from a position. I'm seeing it from a position. From that position, from your condition, you're giving meaning to this event. Yeah, this is just an event, but you're the one that gives it the meaning. That's a pretty powerful uh, role you have in your own life. Okay? If you entertain that idea, what would happen if I changed the meaning giver? Yeah? 
If most of the meanings I'm giving it seems to be all the meanings everyone else is giving it, then it looks like we've been captured by a system of thought called self-centeredness, and we're all basically giving the same meaning to things. You know, different degrees, but basically the same. What would happen if we entertain the possibility it's just a helmet, we could take it off? Yeah? Let other, let's, let's see another modality of mind start giving meaning to your life, and then see if it fits you better. For me, I've been doing it, it's been happening, let's say, for 15 years or more. This fits me a whole lot better than the modality I was under for the 45 years before that. It just works for me so much fucking better. And while you're in it, then you recognize the movement of mind, which tries to claim it, tries to make it something, tries to wiggle it in there and say, I'm the one who's feeling this. I've got the next new uniform on. I'm a spiritual awake person. Yes? I've got this. I'm going to wear this uniform forever. It's my, it's my uniform. You will fucking lose that uniform. <laughs> You'll be broken down from whatever, whatever mythical position you're in, general or corporal colonel. You'll be a private again. <laughs> it has to happen. But if you can see the mind's activity and see it as it's always going to try to take advantage of anything. It's going to try to claim everything. If you can start recognize that, it will prohibit it from the heist. You, the heist will not be able to go forward if you see it. Yeah, You'll start having immunity to it. Then you'll just see it reaching out, trying to grab, but it won't get any hold on anything. Yeah, And after a while, it gets tired because it needs to be reinvigorated by what it grabs onto. If it just keeps grabbing and nothing gets to be held, it starts losing that impetus, yeah? So your mind rests, finally. It finds fucking peace. I see people all day, you know. If they, if, if, they would probably give anything to travel lighter every day. They would give anything to have an immunity to the thought system. Well, here it is. You are the immunity to the thought system. You are the source of traveling lighter. There's no savior going to come. No one's going to bestow it on you. Yeah, it's coming up to your own awakening to the ideas to see how really everything is determined on you in a sense. Here. You can read these great scriptures, which I really respect, where the guy talks about the brightness and stillness of all there is, and yet if you have opinions about it, you won't see it. So in other words, you've got a huge role to play here when it comes to everywhere and everything. Yeah? The allness of everything can seem not to be consequential to you. That's how powerful we are. What's everywhere, all where, we can unnotice it, day in and day out. We can't unnotice it forever, but we can unnotice it in time. Day in and day out, I'd say you play a big role. Yeah? No matter how powerful that sun is, in our situation now, I can have a five-cent paper shade in, would be sufficient to block me off from that sun. Wouldn't it? If the sun was right out that window, I could turn it, seemingly turn it off, in a way. 
by pulling that knot shade. That's our role here. We're playing a big role. And you know, the society and a lot of our the thinking wants to make us a victim, wants to make us passively aggressive, just accepting shit all the fucking time. Acceptance sometimes means you take action. It doesn't mean you just keep accepting stuff. <laughs> sometimes what you accept then is that it's unacceptable. And then you fucking rise up and there's an action occurs. You've had enough. <laughs> it's not like a passive little way of life. That's what they say. If, if a savior comes here, you're going to hate him. Yeah, Because he's going to have to fail you. You're going to have to be left with your own devices sooner or later. You know, I had strong experiences of it. I was in a hospital for months, you know. Had that bad car accident. Well, I don't think anyone has a good car accident, really. <laughs> but I had a bad, bad one. I was in a hospital bed 10 months. It was about 3 foot wide and 7 feet high, 7 feet long. That was my world. It took me over 4 months or 5 months to get it up on, on a wheelchair. I mean, and you never, I mean, I felt levels of what you would call aloneness, unbelievable, you know. I was in this hospital room, and I'd be there, I'd be the one constant factor, and I'd have new roommates coming in every week, but I was the one person who stayed there. (laughs) Have a new person in, but there I'd be. They'd come and go, I'd have like four or five different people in two months, but I'd be the one person in there. And, you know, my friends would come, my family would come, but there was a sense that, they don't know what it's like in this objective experience to be in this bed all day. I couldn't even move. I couldn't, my one was, both legs were up. This was for 35 days. This was for 27 days. So I was like this in traction. Like, yeah, usually pretty awake. <laughs> and then the, the sense of the life force was almost like out. The candle was so, the flame was not even flickering. It was just so small. Then there was the sense of presence, and then there was the yapping of the conditional mind. They seemed to be three distinct things going on. It was so weird. And the ego was sort of like a Johnny-come-lately. It was never there when the shit hit the fan. It just shows up to start reviewing the shit. You know? Oh, you really did it now. Thanks a lot. Why don't you tell me that when I'm walking across the street? You could have saved me from all this. Uh, and he just keeps pointing out to all the fucking things I did. Oh, wonderful, thank you. <laughs> You're making it so much nicer for me now. You know? <laughs> I don't know. You can't. For me, it was so nice. I put my foot down and I just... It's not happiness. I, happiness comes and goes. It's more of a contentment. A contentment and a clarity of mind. Yeah? A contentment and a clarity of mind. I know when I have things and I reach my limit, it's fine. I just stop. I don't go and keep doing things because there's no need to. Because I have the contentment of mind, yeah? And the clarity of the mind. To me, the clarity and contentment are the same, basically. Clarity sort of provokes a contentment. Oh. Yeah, just an idea to entertain. If you're in AA or recovery, it's simple. You have a pretty good idea of the problem because you've been living under it for quite a while. And now, if you can really 
See, the, the lack of true, like, specifical, specific identification is, is scary when people are walking around calling mental anxiety fear. I mean, how much are you out to lunch? It'd be good to get what's what, yeah? Because the fears are there. They're, they're an emotion. They're built into the programming here, yeah? It's the mental anxiety that's claimed them to be your fears and then just playing it like a symphony, yeah? Playing all those fears of shelter, food, sex, death, and life, and just riffing on it all fucking day. Yeah? So this is identification of self, is what I found to be the root of the problem. Yeah? And I've been persistently sharing it now for a long time, and I hope I continue. Because there's nowhere else to go. If you don't get this clearly... It's all the other stuff is just the self putting on different uniforms. That's all. Yeah. Better is better to be, let's say, cavalry than you know a foot soldier. But you're still in the fucking army yourself. And I'd like to have a sort of a stronger freedom from that. From that, you know, I don't want to be elevated to a higher position of selfing. <laughs> Tell you the truth, <laughs> I'd rather just sort of. <laughs> See the system as chronically, systemically failed, and then, all right, move on from there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then whatever uniform on, you can really play it good, man, because you're free with it. You're not fucking, you're not like trying to create imaginary roots into that and become that, yeah? Because you don't need to become anything. You already are something. And then here in this time frame, you'll become a lot of things. You'll become a mother. You'll become a father, maybe. Yeah. You'll become this. You'll become that. There's going to be tons of becomings. Yeah. But the being is different. A lot of us are trying to do and have ourselves into a state of being. We can only become another mental state. Yeah. But the being is complete already. It's not in a process. So it doesn't need time, yeah? Because time is a process, yeah? It doesn't need time to f- complete itself because it's complete. It doesn't need to achieve itself because it's nothing other than all that, yeah? So it's got a whole different sense. And if your mind would sort of reflect that, it would now mimic the effects of what it's reflecting. It would mimic this qualities. And the mind would sort of take on the qualities of this instead of taking on the qualities of this self-centered rift that's going on by the conditional mind, taking yourself to be an action figure. And I just watch people, they've been entertaining this for a while, and it's working. How hard is it to go for something that works? You know, Are we that out to lunch that <laughs> we can't even recognize when something works? <laughs> it's nice, you know? <laughs> I mean, why would I not? If this wasn't available to you right now, I wouldn't bring it up, because it would, I'd have to be selling you a product. At a future date, if you do this and this and this, you can maybe, just maybe, get that. That, to me, is a blatant lie. It doesn't work. You know, there's tons of that going on. I have confidence in sharing it with you because I know its availability is right now. 
I just do. I've seen it. Yeah. You already have a way of life, probably. Kayaking, surfing, this and that. Let this become an illuminating factor in it. Yeah. Instead of seeking a path to illuminate, find the thing that illuminates all paths, which is you. <laughs> it's not going to be anywhere else than where you are. That's the only place you're going to find it. <laughs> it's not in Schenectady or Hoboken or, or, or Cornwall on the Hudson. <laughs> it's not there. It's not hidden in some cave or anywhere or some jewel that's been buried 8,000 years ago. It'd be the finder of the jewel. That's who it is. <laughs> we can give the meaning to the jewel, but it would still, we'd still be the one that was giving the meaning to it. Yeah? Yeah. So. Hallelujah, man. I'm so happy about this news. So happy I had the chance to hear it, really. It just brought a leavening agent to my life where I can actually show up a day at a time here and not take it too seriously. Yeah. Before, everything was way too serious. Yeah. Yeah. Any questions? We're going to have one more week. Next Wednesday, we'll have a meeting. Then the next Wednesday after that, I'll be gone. But this coming Wednesday, we'll be here. Saturday will be here, and next Saturday, we'll, no, we'll be gone next Saturday. Sweden. No, I'm going to uh, Sweden, no, Boston. Boston and Philly. Philly. No, I'm going to uh, Sweden, no. This room, you know, alcoholism was, was our intimate demonstration of the systemic failure of self-centeredness, yeah? We had like an extreme subdivision called alcoholism. And what's really wonderful about alcoholism, many, many things about it, is the recovery from it because you, you tend to go to meetings where other people who have alcoholism or are living under that yoke, yeah, share at the meetings. And so you're sitting in a room with people and they're sharing their thoughts and their feelings and their reactions to life as if theirs, that they're you know, that's how Bill reacts to life and thinks about life. But then you hear Mary share it, and then Stu share it, and then Stephen share it, and you realize they sound just like my thoughts. They sound exactly how I feel. And they sound, the, the reactions and the things they've done in life are similar ones that I did. And so now you get a little clue that how could, if, how could these be my thoughts if you have them? Yeah, if all these people seem to think the same way I think, there's something going on here that's bigger than what I'm seeing, which is I'm taking everything to be terminally uniquely about me. But I'm just hearing people speak how I feel in Bombay, India at an AA meeting. Yeah? Coming from totally different environments and societies, yet the basic feeling is the same, the thoughts seem to be the same, and the reactions to life seem to be the same. What have, how could they be mine if you have them? They're not mine, was the second conclusion. That opened up a big fucking door of possibility. If these thoughts aren't mine, what could possibly happen? Find out. What I found is, out is you're going to get some space between the thoughts. Yeah, There's going to be something we call a pause that's going to be, become really obvious. And instead of just a, a grace-provoked event, it will become a stabilized possibility there that there'll be a pause before you react to the thoughts 
from the framework that they're mine. You'll see them as foreign installments, right? Let's say foreign, like a, like a body, its immune system would recognize a virus in it, right? One of the first things it recognizes is it's a foreign thing, yeah? And then it, then it can produce the effects of an immune system to fight it off, yeah? What happens with alcoholism and self-centeredness, the foreignness of it is seemed to be, is taken to be you. So even when the virus is running through what you call you, you take the virus to be you. So your immune system never kicks in. Yeah. It doesn't, the recognition is when it sees, when it's seen as a foreign installment, that's when the white blood cells start producing and then they go up to that area and they combat it. Right? The virus and stuff. And they, they stem its wanting to grow and get stronger where it dominates the system. The same thing, we've been listening to thoughts which are like, they're triggering a takeover by a foreign installment, yeah? We, we call that foreign installment us, so our immune system never kicks in, yeah? Our, beauty, our ability to say, hey, I'm not that, doesn't kick in, because we've already taken ourselves to be that, yeah? So it has totally neutralized our ability to be discriminating and clear and wise about what's going on. Yeah? Because it's, it's like the thief in the night when you catch it in the middle of the act, the first thing you react to is, hey, that's me. Yeah? You never see it as the thief. Because it's, it's, it's shield or it's like stealth system is identification as. So as soon as the foreign installment is seen, it's seen as, I'm not, I'm that. Yeah? So it finds a home, like a parasite would. It takes, it takes the possibility, the opportunity that we're providing it to have a life through the life that we're in. Yeah? That's what it is. It's like a mental parasitical movement. And it, and the movement is mostly in the mind, and it has the mind convinced that you're about that. It's about you. Yeah? And so your immunity, your defenses don't arise, and the takeover just goes on and on and on and on and on, and now you become like a vehicle for its own transportation. Yeah? Of course, it, then it manifests like a Petri dish, and you're trying to deal with some of its effects, but you never get to the cause, because the cause is called you. Yeah? And that you is a foreign installment. That isn't what we are. But we take ourselves to be that. Which causes us to be totally open to constant takeover by parasitical mental tendencies. Greed, avarice, lust. All these things can take one over. People get into pornography and it just has a life of its own. People go into like, you know, stalking people, it takes a life of its own. That guy who had the three women in his cellar, I'm sure he didn't start out with the idea of having three women. He had a weird idea that, hey, there's this woman walking, I'll pick her up, see where it can go. Suddenly she's in his his cellar for five years, now the perversion continues and expands. Now he's got three of them down there for 12 years and have kids with one of them. It didn't start out that way. Yeah, The mind was entertaining a little perversion, God made it through that little idea that it just blew up. This is how it starts. You look at the one nudie thing and then you're in porno all night. Your, your wife is laying there beautifully, voluptuously in bed and you're looking at porno instead. 
Same thing with drugs, saying, oh, I'm only going to have one drink. It takes you off totally. I'm just going to just have one hit of the pipe. Oh, yeah, sure. One hit of the pipe. Oh, yeah, yeah. One shot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Soon as it as soon as it happens, you're taken over, yeah, and you just use for fucking transportation, and then you're fighting and you're righteously uh, proclaiming how individual and you're doing everything. You've just been taken over. You ever hear of Candida? A little bug in your it's a, not a little, it's an old fungus, very very old. It's in our system, it's yeah. in our body, yeah. Now it's it's learned, it's broken through the intestinal wall, it goes into the blood, it goes everywhere. Some research says most science infections are candida. Goes into moist areas of the body and lives, yeah? So the candida has certain demands for food. It needs food. It finds food in like white flowery stuff, yeah? Most people who have candida tend to really love bagels, you know? They love white bread. They like a lot of bread and wheat, yeah? Now they're thinking, because a foreign installment hasn't been seen as a foreign installment, they're thinking they love bread, they love bagels, and they have a giant story, maybe an ethnic story of how much they love bagels. Yet it's the candida that's getting its, it can't go out and shop, yeah? just like alcohol, alcoholism can't pick up a beer, it has to use this opportunity to get a beer, it can't have alcohol, alcoholism, it can't drink it. But it's its fuel, yeah? So here's this thing, candida. The candida is jacking into your system. You don't see it as foreign because you've already been taken over. And it's going, get that fucking flour. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm hungry down here. You know? Eat a huge amount of it just before you go to bed. That's when I have the, that's when I can have a big feast. When your rest of you is asleep, I'll be churning away in here. You'll wake up fucking tired. Farting, bloated. Oh yes, and you'll want to have. And as soon as you wake up, you'll have another bagel, <laughs> and you'll keep giving it. It's you. It's been jacked in by a fucking intelligence on in a fungal level. Of course, if you don't see it, if you take it to be you. <laughs> You're going to notice the effects, but you'll never be able to put your finger on it. Now everyone's getting into gluten-free. It's way past time. People have been fatigued and bloated for 30, 40 years. And now they're finally dawning on them. If they stop eating gluten, they feel a lot better. Jesus Christ, it took forever to get to that idea. Yeah. We're basically out to lunch. <laughs> We're just being taken over by tons of things constantly. Yeah. But how about recognizing the first installment, that installment of the idea of being a self? We didn't even know what was going on when we were a kid. We just grew right into it. Yeah? And now we've been looking at from that formatted way of looking self-centeredly for years. And it's made us blind to what's actually so. And if we try to apply this form of looking to finding the truth, we'll never freaking find the truth. Because it ain't out there. There's no truth out there. You is the truth. So, that's it, eh?